in a courtroom scene. There's a defendant who's on trial. The prosecutor is bringing some charges against this defendant. And the defendant is trying to argue strongly that he is innocent of these charges. But there's not any witnesses. And so he's trying to do his best, but it really just becomes an issue of one person's word against another person's word. The absence of witnesses can create doubt and uncertainty about what truly happened in any given circumstance. However, if there are reliable witnesses present who can corroborate the events as they played out, well, their testimony can help provide clarity. It can help to provide credibility to the case. The judge and jury then would be able to be, be able to make a, like an informed decision about the sort of things that actually happened there. Witnesses play a crucial role in shedding light on truth. John's gospel was written with a very clear intent. He's providing information to his readers about who Jesus is so that we might know him, that we might believe in him, and that in believing we might have eternal life. And he provides many witnesses, John does, many witnesses to help build his case for the divinity of Christ. If you want to see our guide to John's gospel, you can point your camera at this QR code that's on the screen there behind you. It's just got some basic information about the book. It has an outline that hopefully you'll find helpful. John wants us to know who Jesus is. And so we should just recap who he is. Jesus is God, and yet he is distinct from God. And he has come from God into the world to bring salvation so that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. And so we're just spending a few weeks going slowly through the prologue, these first 18 verses of the gospel according to John, to make sure that we're picking up as much as we can from this particular section. There's a lot here that John is introducing that is going to be very helpful for us as we're reading through and studying John's gospel in the weeks and months to come. Once we get through this prologue, we'll pick up the pace a little bit as we get into those narratives. But for now, we really want to slow down and pay close attention to what John's introducing here. Here's our big idea from this middle section of the prologue to John's gospel. Faithful gospel witness either meets rejection due to human depravity or reception due to divine grace. Faithful gospel witness either meets rejection due to human depravity or reception due to divine grace. And we're going to look at these these verses here in three sections. First, witnessing is testifying to the truth about who Jesus is, verses 6 through 9. Second, Jesus was ignored and rejected by his world and people, verses 10 and 11. And then third, God's children are reborn by his grace alone, verses 12 through 13. Let's pray and ask for God's help as we dive in. Father, we want to behold you. We want to behold the lion and the lamb this morning, the living and active word. And so we ask that you would give us eyes of faith to be able to see him as he truly is, We pray for those who are here this morning who have not experienced knowing Jesus, uh, that you would 
give them eyes to see, that you would open the eyes of their heart, that you would flip the lights on in their soul so that they might behold him. And we ask that we all would leave here changed by what we behold. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. First, from verses 6 through 9, witnessing is testifying to the truth about Jesus. I'll read verses 6 through 9 back into our hearing one more time. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. So John was sent from God to bear witness to the identity of this light of the world. And we saw in the first five verses that came just before this that the light of the world is also known as the word of God. It is the second person of the Trinity. He was with God in eternity before creation, and he was God himself before creation. And so John is referring here, this light, this word, this son, is the second person of our triune God, God the Son. He was coming into the world, and John was sent by God to testify to that fact. Now, just to be clear, this John that is written about here is not the same John who wrote this gospel. This is a different John. This would be John that we call John the Baptist, and we'll hear more about John the Baptist in weeks to come. All we really need to know about him now is that he was sent from God to bear witness to the true identity of Jesus as the eternal word of God. So Jesus is sent into the world by God the Father from eternity outside of creation, the word coming to bring heaven's light into creation. John would also be sent by God on a human level to stir up his fellow humans to see their need for that light so that they might believe in that light as it comes. He is not the light. He's just pointing others to the light. So you think about this on a physical level. Under most circumstances, people are able to recognize light when they see it. Uh, Light is not something that needs to be pointed out. So if you bring people into your home and you flip on a light switch in your room, you don't have to say, I just turned on the light. People will know. Uh, The light is there. I saw it. However, there might be someone who is there that you would need to explain, hey, the lights just came on. If someone was blind, you would have to tell them, you would have to interpret what is happening. Only those who can't see need to be told about the light. So those who are spiritually blind then, in this sense, are those who cannot see the spiritual light and they would need to have someone else describe it for them so that they can sort of know about it. So that was the responsibility given, given to John John the Baptist, to describe the light to those who are blind. Again, let's just remember what our author for this gospel is doing in these first 18 verses. He's introducing themes that are going to be very important as we're going through and interpreting a lot of the narratives that we're going to be seeing throughout this gospel. He's introducing these themes, and over and over again, we're going to see this concept of witnessing and bearing witness to Jesus come up. Again and again, John the Baptist is a witness to the light, but he's, he's really just the first. He's the first witness, but he's not the only one. Here's what it means 
to bear witness about the light. Here's John the Baptist doing just that in John 1, 29. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. Here's Nathanael in John 1, 49. Nathanael answered him and said, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Here's Peter, John 6, 69. And we have believed and we've come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Here's Martha in John chapter 11. She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Here's Thomas, John 20, verse 28. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God, when he beholds him. Here's John himself, the author of this gospel, not John the Baptist, but John, the son of Zebedee, the disciple John, where he says in John chapter 20, verse 31, Jesus is the Christ, the son of God. But it's not even just John's gospel, obviously, that testify, that bear witness to the identity of Jesus. Jesus himself says that all scriptures bear witness to him. John 5, 39 Jesus says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, but it is they that bear witness about me. So even the scriptures themselves are bearing witness about Jesus. We see Jesus and the Father actually doing the same thing, witnessing to his identity. John 8, chapter 8, verse 18 says, I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. The Holy Spirit does the same thing. John 15, verse 26. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And we could add on top of that all of those people that he interacts with in miraculous signs, heals the blind, feeds the hungry, who go away and say, Surely this man was the Son of God. Uh, those, those miracles, which are acting like signs, are meant to bear witness to the identity of Jesus Christ as well. So here's what we're seeing. Listen to me now. To bear witness about Jesus is to testify about the truth of his identity. And to bear witness about Jesus is to testify about the truth of his identity. Once you see him for who he is, You can't unsee it. And then you typically tell other people about what you have seen. Have you experienced that earnest, genuine desire to move towards other people to let them know about the light? To tell others about Jesus? Particularly when people come to faith later in life, sometimes they're given like an extra measure of zeal because they spent so much time in darkness and they hated it. And then they come to faith later in life and they see the light and like, ah, everybody needs to see this light. And you want to share it with people. Don't, don't be in the darkness. I was there. It's not great. Come to Christ. Come see the light out of your darkness into his light. They have a zeal. And sometimes that zeal can come across uh, strangely. So there's one guy I'm thinking of in particular who got saved and then he tried to save his cocaine dealer. Uh, and so what he did is he was reading his Bible at home. He's like, this guy needs the light. I've seen it. He needs it. 
And so he goes home and reads the Bible and he writes down a whole bunch of scriptures that talk about hell and he nails them to his door. And uh, so he gets, he gets a call later. He's like, what, what exactly was that? Uh, and so I don't, I don't know how effective that was in the long term, but he had a zeal, right? He, he, he knew this guy's in darkness. I need to do whatever I can. I haven't been trained. It doesn't matter. I just need to, there's urgency. I need to tell this man about the light. Might have been more tactful if he had matured a little bit. Who knows? Who cares? But maybe he could have offered to read the gospel of John with him. Who knows? But the urgency is what struck me when I heard this story. The urgency of the message of the gospel really shouldn't ever wane, but sometimes it does. But we are not responsible for the way that people respond to the light when we tell about it, but we are responsible to witness to the light. So can I just ask you to take a moment now prayerfully to consider who the Spirit might be laying on your heart and mind right now to be sharing that light with. Maybe it's a family member, a coworker, neighbor. Think about it. Write a name down. Maybe offer to read the Gospel of John with them. Just offer to pray for them. Invite them to church, take them to lunch afterwards. If you feel like you should nail something to their door, let me know. We'll talk about it. (laughs) But friends, what if you could have the joy of sharing the light with someone who is genuinely dying to know and was just waiting for somebody to tell them? The revelation of God's light demands a response. It will get a response. And we'll see both of those responses here in this passage. There are some who will reject him and there are those who will receive him. We see both of these responses in the verses that follow. First, point two, Jesus was ignored and rejected by his world and people. Verses 10 through 11. Verses 10 through 11 says this, he was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. There's two things I think described here in verses 10 and 11. In verse 10, we see the ignorance of the world who do not know him. They do not know him. And then in verse 11, I take verse 11 to be a reference of Jesus being rejected by Israel, his own people. This will play out in in real time. We'll talk about that more in a minute. But let's think just about that first response in verse 10, the world's response of ignorance. So what we have here is the creator of creation entering into his own world that he made and when he is witnessed and seen by people in his own creation that he made, they don't, they don't understand him. They don't know him. They don't grasp who it truly is. The world does not receive him. World, an important term in John's gospel, comes up three times just in this one verse. Remember, when John says world, Typically, he's most often referring to mankind set in rebellion against God. This is what he means by world. The people of the world did not recognize him. They did not engage with him. And it's apparent from looking at creation, obviously, to us that there is a creator. We know there is a creator. But creation doesn't reveal exactly who that creator is. We can't know him distinctly. We know that he exists. But we don't know him personally. We can't know him through nature. But creation doesn't reveal who who he is, and so we need him to take some divine initiative 
to reveal himself to us. And so he does do that. He did. He revealed himself to his own creation through his words, through his mighty acts of salvation. But now, in a very unique, distinct thing, God would be present in human form, not just through his spoken word or through his actions, but in human form, that God would enter into his creation so that he might be heard with our ears and seen with our eyes and touched with our hands. And yet, he was not known by the world. Even worse, many thought that he was someone that he was not. They were convinced he was a liar. They were convinced he was a lunatic or a fraud. And so they thought they were doing themselves and others a favor by persecuting and killing him. What explains that except for the depravity of the human heart? It's kind of like the TV show, it's called Undercover Boss. On the show, the owners of a large business will, will disguise themselves and then sort of enter into the regular employee life uh, of the business to kind of see what it's like. What are my employees really like? What's, what are they saying about me as them working on the floor? They get to hear what their employees are, are thinking in real time. Well, God the Son came in human form. And if you passed him on the street, you wouldn't have known, you wouldn't have expected that he was simultaneously holding together the universe by the word of his power. And yet he was. The world did not recognize him, though he was the creator in creation. So that's what's happening in verse 10. I take verse 11 to be referring to Israel rejecting Jesus. The Israelites were God's people. Romans 9 talks about how Israel was God's adopted son. He adopted them. He gave them his law. He allowed his glory to dwell among them in the tabernacle. We'll hear more about that next Sunday. He extended his gracious covenant uniquely to Israel. Again, he gave him his law. He gave him a sacrificial system that would point to Christ. He made unique promises to Israel. And all of those promises would come to their fruition, to their fullness in and through the person and work of Jesus Christ. All of the promises of God find their yes and amen in Jesus. This too, friends, is going to be a major theme in John's gospel. We're gonna to return to that theme over and over again. But when he came, the Messiah that was promised and prophesied and anticipated, when he came to his own people, they did not accept him. He was rejected by them. We're going to see that play out in the narratives when he's re rejected by the scribes and the Pharisees who ought to have recognized him, who ought to have received him, but they saw Jesus as a stumbling block rather than the Savior who he was. And here's what's happening in both of these things, with the world and with Israel. Because of the fall, our hearts are set on the flesh, which makes them hostile to God. This is Romans chapter 8. There is an inability to respond positively to the call of the gospel when it comes to us. We respond in ignorance, rejection, whether it's by ignorance or the light of just like flat out rejection of the light, left to ourselves, we reject Christ's gospel as foolishness because our minds are set in the flesh, not on the things of the spirit. And this is what we mean by the, the concept of depravity the effects of our bondage to sin in Adam has corrupted every 
aspect of our existence, which would include our will. Apart from God's divine grace and out of our own depravity, we respond to the gospel only by ignoring it, only by rejecting it. We are not naturally able to positively respond to the gospel apart from God's supernatural divine initiative. And that's what we find in verses 12 through 13. Third, God's children are reborn by his grace alone. It's 12 and 13. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Praise God, he does not leave us in our ignorance and rebellion. Can we just hold on there for a second before we even move further? And just praise God that he does not leave us in our ignorance and our rebellion because that's where we would be apart from his grace. Verse 12 and 13 tell us that not all, however, would reject Jesus. It's worth just taking a beat to praise him. Some will receive him. They would not left to themselves, but they will. Verse 12, he uses receiving and believing. If you see that in verse 12, those who did receive him, who believed in his name, He's referring to the same thing. To receive Christ is to believe in his name, to know who he is, to trust in his work. You see that? To receive him is to believe in his name. And then it says, all who receive him were born of the will of God. Are you seeing this? Verse 13. All who receive him were born of the will of God. So this principle is going to come up a lot more in John's gospel. It plays out a lot, obviously, in Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus, talking about being born again. So we're going to spend more time thinking through this in more depth when we get to Nicodemus. But let's just get this principle settled into our heart now, into our minds now, before we get there to that narrative. We are all born of the flesh. We're all born of the flesh. I, I just mean we had a natural physical birth. That's true of all of us. Okay. That birth was the result of genetics, of biology. It was the result of humanity, your parents taking the initiative to bring about new life as an act of their will. But in order to become a child of God, you have to be born again. And this is the second birth. It is not humanity who is taking the initiative in bringing about this life. It is God himself. You see that in verse 13. Those who believed in Jesus' name, his identity, were born again, spiritually speaking. In order to see the light, we need a new birth. We need Jesus to speak his light into our hearts to make us a new creation so that we might be able to see him for who he is. Without God's divine initiative, we would remain in darkness, in ignorance, in depravity. Now, there's a sense in which we would all be considered God's offspring. Paul talks about this in Acts 17. There's a sense in which we all owe our physical, biological life to God. We would not be here unless he put us here. However, listen to John. Not everyone is a child of God by default. Only those who believe in Christ's identity, who are born again, who are given the right, the authority 
maybe a, a better translation, given the authority, the ability, the right, the power to become his children. That is not the default status. Our adoption as his children only comes through grace alone. Our relationship to God is not dependent upon what it says in verse 13 is not dependent upon our human qualities like uh, what family we're born into. It is not dependent upon human actions or our self-determination. I'm going to cause myself to be born again. It is not the result of someone else's decision on our behalf. What is our relationship to God based upon? His own gracious divine initiative. And so this is the doctrine of regeneration. The doctrine of regeneration says the transformation of a person's spiritual condition goes from death to life through the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. And then at conversion, we turn to God in repentance and faith using the freedom of our will that he has given to us. We hear the testimony, we hear the witness of those who tell us the truth about who Jesus is and we run to him, we turn to him, we come to Christ. Verse nine says that Jesus is the true light He's the true light who brings light to all. Just as our measurement of time revolves around Christ, there's BC, there's AD. In the same way, all of humanity is measured by their response to the revelation of God's Messiah. The light has come into the world to all. He is the light. He is the only light, the ultimate revelation of God himself. Whether we see it or not, he is the light for all. And so if, you, if you've ever misunderstood who Jesus is, what God's gospel of Christ's righteousness is, Christlessness, Christ's righteousness is, if you've ever rejected the gospel, if you've rejected Christ, let me just witness to the light for a minute. Can I do that? God exists. God is holy and perfect and infinite and just and good, and you and I, as his creation, as sons and daughters of Adam and Eve, are born into spiritual death, separation from God. Our relationship to that loving and just, righteous creator is is shattered by our own sinful rebellion against him. That's a problem. How, How can we, as God's creation, repair that gap between a holy creator and a sinful creation? Well, that's where the good news of the Christian gospel comes in. This is distinct from every other religion because every other religion is going to start with the concept that if you try hard enough, you can bridge that gap to the divine. Well, Christianity is much more honest than that. Uh, it's not possible. We fully recognize that nothing we could do, nothing we could say, nothing we could think, any offering we could bring would be able to bridge that gap between a holy God and an unholy humanity. We need God to reach in and fix it for us. And that's what he's done, praise him, in the gospel of Jesus Christ. He is the eternal word, truly God, entering into creation as true man. The only perfect mediator between God and man. He stepped into history from all eternity as a human. And he lived the sinless life that you and I were meant to live. He paid the debt that we owed by dying on the cross. And because he is God, he was not constrained by death. He rose again, conquering sin, death, hell, the devil, Satan. He did, because he is God, what we cannot do. And it is only through the instrument of faith alone 
that we can receive what he's given to us. So receive him. Believe in his name. And in so doing, be given the, the right, the authority, the power to become a child of God. Ask him to turn on the lights in your heart so that you can recognize Jesus for who he truly is. If you want to talk in the lobby after the service, happy to do that. If you also just want to grab somebody in a pew, I bet there's pretty good odds that you're going to find somebody who'd love to talk to you. Let someone know what God's doing right now in your heart, in your mind. Brothers and sisters, these verses should give us great confidence in our evangelism. These verses should give us great confidence in our evangelism. Sure, some are going to ignore, some are going to reject the light who has come into the world, but Christ is still at work. He is making his new creation. And the joy of helping others see that light is there for the taking. Speak up in confident faith. Confidence not in your ability to be a persuasive evangelist or like a really compelling or convincing apologist. That's not the point. Simply tell the truth about who Jesus is. Trusting that some will receive him because of God's divine grace alone. Praise be to God for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray.